Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 8. There is a lot to glean from today's readings. I love these historical books because there's so much information to dig into. However, like most of the Bible, there is so much that we can't possibly cover it in one go-round. So I'll just pick some highlights. Rabbit Trails Israel decided to go to battle with the Philistines, and it says nothing of them consulting with Yahweh on this. So we can surmise that they went of their own accord. It is made clear that they knew their defeat did not come at the hands of the Philistines themselves, but from Yahweh directly. And so they then decide to bring him into their plan in hopes of victory by bringing the ark. How often do we go off on our own accord, fail miserably since we chose to step outside of Yahweh's will, guidance, and wisdom, and only then decide that we should bring him into the picture? Yahweh is not content to sit around and be an afterthought, or a genie in a lamp. It is heartbreaking that the Philistines, who were no doubt very aware of the Israelites, believed them to worship multiple gods, and therefore even attributed multiple gods as helping them in battle. See 1 Samuel 4, 8. You would think that in a society in which all other cultures worship multiple gods, the Israelites would stand out and be known for worshiping the one true God. But as we've noted before, their assimilation and syncretism was so complete that at this point, Israel was indiscernible from the world. The Ark Today, we read the biblical equivalent of hot potato, in which the power of the Almighty is so strong and people are so taken aback by it that all they want to do is get it out of their presence. The hot potato is, of course, the Ark of the Covenant. 1 Samuel 4, 4. Look who's bringing the Ark into the camp. Eli's sons, Hopni and Phinehas. This is not a good thing, as we've already read that these men do not revere Yahweh, his temple, or his property. In 1 Samuel 5, verses 1 through 5, we see an account of the Ark being placed in the house of Dagon. This was one of the primary gods of the Philistines. So mighty was this god considered to be that it was even cited in the famous law code of King Hammurabi when he listed Dagon as his creator. This is such a prominent god that it it is cited several other times in the Bible, but you may miss it if you aren't looking for it. See Joshua 19.27 and Judges 16.23. Also referenced in 1 Maccabees 10.83 and 1 Maccabees 11.4. You can read more on Dagon in the Wikipedia by clicking here. And note, Maccabees are historical books that used to be in our Bibles and are still in the Bibles of some denominations. My point is, do not read through this and miss the significance of Dagon being found bowing before the Ark of Yahweh, nor of his hands and head being removed. 1 Samuel 6 verses 4 through 5. When the Philistines decided to return the ark, they decided to offer offerings to the god of the ark in hopes of appeasing him. They made five golden tumors and five golden mice. The term used for tumors is one to represent a hill, 
city, or stronghold, according to the interlinear. See here for that. But some people believe they were meant to represent the tumors and other afflictions that had come upon them, same as with the mice. I can see either one working with the context. Either way, this was a gesture of acknowledgement that the people knew these afflictions were the work of the God of Israel. I love what they said in 1 Samuel 6.6. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Here, we see an example of people knowing what Yahweh has done in response to disobedience and heeding that wisdom so as to avoid it happening to them. Now, these were not even worshipers of Yahweh, and yet they had more respect for his power than his followers did. Note that all of Samuel's warnings about a king came true. This is one of the ways in which we are taught to know a prophet is a true prophet of Yahweh. All of his or her predictions must come true to be of God. Not most, not half, not every now and then, but all. Yahweh does not make mistakes, and he does not change. Note that Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 through 17 predicted they would ask for a king. So you definitely want to revisit that verse. 1 Samuel 10, 17-19 reads, Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzvah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought, you up out of, I brought you up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. You can read a lot more about this in my Deuteronomy 17 through 20 notes, so I encourage you to check those out for a fuller picture. Just click this link and scroll down until you see the little fire symbol, which I put there to make it easier for you to jump to the relevant section. I ended the pertinent section with another fire symbol. 1 Samuel 6, 7-15 is the account of how they sent the ark back. There are a few things not to overlook here. Firstly, the cows had never been under a yoke. These cows were not likely to take to the yoke easily, nor work together pulling a wagon. They had never done either of these things, worked with another cow or pulled a wagon. Therefore, only Yahweh could lead them to do so. The cows were still nursing calves and were separated from their calves, with the calves being sent back home. A nursing cow would immediately go right back to her calf. Therefore, if they are to do otherwise, it would only happen by the hand of Yahweh. What happened when they hooked the cart up to the cows? They worked together perfectly and set out straight for Beth Shemesh without hesitation or without turning to the right or the left. Ironically, the Philistines showed more faith in Yahweh than his own people have at many times. Now, Beth Shemesh was a key Israelite city on the border of Philistia. 1 Samuel 7.3 has one of those pivotal combinations that we need to sit up straight and pay attention to whenever we see it in the word of our Father. It is an if-then statement. If you do this, then Yahweh will do this. 
There are many of these statements throughout the Bible, but mankind tends to overlook the if part because that requires action on our part while still expecting the Father to follow through with the then part. In this case, the statement is, if you are actually returning to Yahweh, then show it. Put away your idols. Stop being unfaithful. Stop committing adultery against him. Now, keep in mind that Samuel has already proven himself to be a true prophet of Yahweh as he speaks this. So we know this directive comes from Yahweh himself, plus it passes the Deuteronomy 13 test. 1 Samuel 7.3 reads, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. In chapter 8, we further see Israel seeking to be like other nations. 1 Samuel 8, 4-5 Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Why did they want a king? They wanted to fit in and be esteemed by the world. Again, those Deuteronomy 17 through 20 notes go deeper into this. Do we see ourselves in all that we are reading? I sure do. 1 Samuel 8, 7 through 9 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being a king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Wow. They hadn't rejected Samuel, but Yahweh. And I doubt they even realized it. But they had not put their faith in the Father even after all he had done and shown to the house of Israel. How often do we put our faith in other things? We have faith in our job, in our paycheck, in our ability to pay the mortgage, in our ability to put food on the table. We have faith in our own work. We have faith in our own intellect to advance ourselves and our career. We have faith in our talent, in our skill, in our friends, in our degrees and certifications. We place our faith in leaders, in our teachers, in our managers. At the end of the day, though, who controls all of that? Who has the ability to cause everything to multiply or disappear? Who has the ability to show favor or displeasure on us in all things? Who owns all the cattle on the hills? See Psalm 50. Who commands the sun to rise and the moon to set, the trees to bear fruit, and the land to lay dormant or bring forth a harvest. What do we have faith in? Whatever it is, that is our God. We have seen a cycle develop that keeps repeating itself. Sin, judgment, repentance. Some refer to this as apostasy, servitude, restoration. Some break down restoration into repentance and deliverance. I see this as Sin, 
and then judgment or conviction, which brings about awareness of that sin, and then a decision. At this point, we end up at a fork in the road where we have to choose to go the stiff-necked route or turn away from reproach and go to the repentance route and seek forgiveness. And then outcome. Whether or not we are delivered and reach restoration depends largely on which direction we go in at that fork in the road. And believe me, we will find ourselves at that fork in the road countless times in our lives as believers. Either way, we can look back over our reading and see this cycle taking place numerous times already. And we'll see it plenty of times in our future reading. But this is interesting to look into in our world today and consider where we are in that cycle, both in our personal lives, or as a country, as a world, etc. Note, political comments in the group will have you hung up by your pinky toes on the clothesline out back. So, let me be totally straight with you. It's not fun being convicted of sin. And it's sure not easy when Yahweh shows you that He wants you to leave behind the world's ways, which we tend to favor, and follow Him in His ways. Because by doing this, often people see you and begin to feel convicted themselves, but they tend to blame you rather than Yahweh for that conviction. You don't even have to say a word. All you have to do is live your life differently from how they live theirs. And the Father, if it is His leading, will drop the hammer. The reaction is not pleasant. This is part of why it is so important not to tell people what Yahweh says, but to get them to read it for themselves. Because if they attribute Yahweh's words to you, they can easily turn away from them. But turning away from Yahweh himself is, hopefully, a more difficult decision to make. Oh goodness, Christy's still just a-talking. So, at this point in my walk, I'm not a big believer in actively trying to convert others. Firstly, I see this as me trying to convince folks that they should walk out their faith exactly like I do mine. And I understand that Yahweh has a specific path for everyone. So by trying to get them on my path, I'm depriving them of their intended journey, purpose, and the opportunity to be in Yahweh's will. Secondly, Yahweh plants the seeds, and I have no way of knowing where that seed is in its development. Only He does. Therefore, my goal is to behave in a manner in line with the fruits of the Spirit, so that no matter where someone is in their walk, an interaction with me will leave them stronger, more nourished, and a little better off than they were before. If we go after everyone with the intent of yanking them off the path Yahweh has them on, and the ultimate goal of bringing them around to our way of thinking, we will most likely poison the soil that the Father has so lovingly tended. It is a process, and sometimes, in our good intentions, we may not realize that we are impeding someone's process rather than helping it. Now, I'm not saying not to answer questions posed with a sincere heart or to have conversations with people about the Father, and certainly we are to always answer as to the source of our hope and joy. But our lives should be the greatest testimony. Not our voices as we yell at folks while standing on top of a park bench as they walk by. That is an extreme example here. You may feel differently, and that's okay. You and I are different people, and that's okay too. But let us encourage one another. Though our walk may look different, we're each seeking to follow in the footsteps of our Messiah, and so there's common ground there. Let us meet on that common ground and help build one another up. As for others, not yet on this path, 
Instead of directing them to follow us, let us take them directly to the Father, introduce them to Him through His Word, rather than our retelling of it. People are intelligent, and they need to be treated like they are. Rather than us summarizing and cherry-picking what we have in our own wisdom deemed most important, lead them to the book, and in doing so, know that you are leading them into direct relationship with the Father. Whew, I guess I had a lot to talk about today. I apologize for being so long-winded, but I felt the urging to share these things. The world is growing increasingly darker, but His light is shining brighter each day. That He has us here, deep in the Word, diligently studying to show ourselves approved by Him, is a tremendous honor. I mean, wow! Can you believe He's using us? That we get to read words spoken in His own voice and glean from fields He Himself has planted. He's so good to us. It's so exciting I can't even think too long on her. I'll have to shout for joy. And that scares the dogs. Test everything, y'all. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.